This is Corey Gray and Tony Stewart from Hairdistry. Thank you for tuning in to the Hairdressers Podcast. Now here's a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is Jenna Irby, also known as Esthetician Jenna. I am owner of Skin Fit Aesthetics. I am also the co-host of the Charm School podcast. And in my own business, I use Schedulicity. And the reason I love Schedulicity is because it is so convenient for my clients. The platform and the website is so user-friendly. People can go on there anytime, day or night, when they're off of work, they're unwinding, they're finally in their bed at 8 p.m., ready to schedule their facial service when in traditional work hours, a receptionist would not be there. And they can just pop on the website, drink their cocktail, glass of wine while they're watching their favorite TV show and conveniently book their service with me. So that's why I love Schedulicity is just the convenience that it gives myself as well as my clients. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno. And this amazing podcast is brought to you by Schedulicity. Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. Of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's up, buddy? What's up, brother? How you doing? How's the storm over there? Uh, three or four inches. Not too bad. Not I thought it was going to be a lot, lot more. But although they said we're, you know, two to four more today. So we'll see. So we'll, we'll see what happens, uh, uh, you know, over the next 24 hours or so. All right, dude. So honestly, um, this is a recurring podcast that we've done. I think this is number three for us. I'm super mega stoked about it. Um, it it's definitely uh, one of my favorite podcasts that we get to do. Well, it's the only one that we've actually done, you know, with with any kind of a continuation. But I'm excited about it because one, we get to talk to our good friend, uh, Gordon Miller, but uh, also we kind of get to talk about the number one thing that we love, and that's this industry. Yeah, and, and it's funny. You said this is the third time we're doing it. This is actually the third time we're trying this podcast. You know, we kept having uh, technical difficulties trying to uh, establish this particular podcast, but, you know, third's a charm, right? Third's a charm. Here we are. We're, we're about to get into it. So, um, so again, uh, this is our third time, aside from, you know, all the technical difficulties over the last three years, or this is the third year, um, we, uh, we've been talking to Gordon about the state of the uh about the state of the industry. And um, it's always a, it's always an exciting conversation for me, at least an interesting conversation to me. And, um, you know, not to mince words, but, you know, Gordon totally messed up uh, his uh, future predictions for 2020. So, uh, so hopefully in 2021, he'll have a little bit better. (laughs) It kind of wasn't his fault though, but nobody knows this industry. uh, I personally, I think more than, than Gordon. He's uh he is a man of wisdom. He knows I, I, if any stat, I think I believe you you say something, he'll spit it out. Um, and you know, I really, really appreciate the friendship that we've been able to uh, really kind of develop with him. And he's really a special guy. And he's really uh, he's helped this podcast out a whole whole lot. And uh, again, you know, much love to him. Much love. Um, actually, interesting is that uh, Gordon was uh, the 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 state of the industry um, podcast that we did last year was our last, our very very last live event podcast that we were able to record last year because uh, you know after at, we recorded it at ISSC in in LA and that was the weekend of like January twenty seventh, I think. So it was actually the very last live podcast that we recorded, and you know here we are a year later, and and in some ways. It seems like yesterday. In other ways, it seems like a decade ago, you know? Oh, it really does. And and boy, was he wrong. Touche. <laughs> well, uh, let's, let's go ahead and get in. So, uh, Mr. Gordon Miller, welcome back for, you know, number three or four <laughs> to your day it, off, man. It is my honor, gentlemen, my honor to be with you on a, on a snowy day in America. <laughs> on a snowy that's exactly right so uh so buddy yeah you messed up last year 
<laughs> well, you know, I, I almost went back and listened to it a couple of days ago. I was like, I, I, I don't remember what I predicted. So in my mind, you know, I, 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 I think I got it probably totally right. Did I not mention a coming virus? Did I somehow? It was in my notes. I must have forgot to say something. You know, what's interesting is that kind of when we talked at ISSE, like that was kind of the first that's the first time that we actually had talked about the virus, because I remember when we flew into L.A., there was a lot of Asian travelers like wearing masks and stuff when we, when we flew into L.A. airport. Mm -hmm. And I remember Tony and I kind of looking at each other going, you know, it, it just kind of it was just like, I don't know, a quarter step of feeling, well, maybe this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. Well, it is. And, you know, it, it, it's connected to any and every, I think, thought at, each of us would have about what's coming next. I mean, you, you can't think about the future of the industry without now thinking about what this last year has brought to us all. Yeah. This, even last year, like when we did see those masks, you know, we had no clue what was about yeah. to happen at all. You know yeah. what I mean? With Even if we all had to wear masks, we still had no clue what was about to happen. And, you know, Hairbrained, you know, we, we were in New York for what we call the Hairbrained Video Awards on the same weekend as IBS New York. It was uh, the 7th or the 8th of March. I remember so distinctly I flying in that Friday and being in New York City. And I think all across the country, but I think most specific, very specifically for me in New York, you just felt it, this massive wave of change, like rolling over us in the moment. It was like, this weird tsunami of, because a week later, I don't think any of us would have had the same feelings, but being in New York that weekend and, and standing in line at a little grocer for hand sanitizer. Cause they were, it was, it was that moment where they said, we all have to change. And um, I'll never forget it. That's really interesting. We actually, we opted out of that weekend. Um, yeah, I think, I but we didn't opt up and we didn't opt out until like Friday night. Like, I mean, you know, we were, we were taking the train up, so it's very mm -hmm. easy to opt out at that point. But yeah, you know, we just decided that, that, well, the quote that I've been using, honestly, ever since then, when, whenever I, we had to make a decision about, about the, um, about the pandemic is like, I'd rather be dumb and be healthy than be dumb and be sick. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and that, that was literally the conversation we had Friday night when we just said, you know what, let's be let's be dumb and healthy, you know, and then and, then, and coincidentally, that weekend, we were supposed to go to um, Mustafa's um, uh, uh, salon and we were going to mm -hmm. we were going to do an interview with him there. And then what, a week later or something, he ended up, um, you know, he ended up in the hospital with COVID. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. we we kind of we kind of missed that as well. And, you know, we we we. We're in New York, you know, the entire Hairbrain team. We traveled from all over the country. We were there. We, you know, it was a conundrum. We were like, what do we do? You know, we had 400 people coming to an event in, in, a, in a club. We were talking to everybody, you know, including people in the industry about what is the right thing to do? Because, again, it was so sudden. And we made, you know, we made a decision with complete transparency to everybody. We warned everybody. We told everybody to be safe. But we got so much feedback to, that the event should go on. We did it. And we're so grateful in retrospect that, you know, not a single report of any problem that came out of the event. I think people were very, very careful. We were careful with the venue. But um, looking back on it, it was like, whew, you know, um, hindsight, I'm not so sure. But uh, I'm sure we got through it. Everybody up there was grateful for you to, to do it, too, because when when uh, when they canceled the show, you had all those people that were already there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it's no, still, scary. Still, still, still scary looking back. But but again, having said that. Um, we, we all sailed through it. So, uh, knock on wood. Hey, do you guys like, if you watch like old TV or you're watching like a movie or something, you see a bunch of people like together in the movie. Do, do you feel a little uneasy about it? Cause I certainly know I do. <laughs> well, everything I look at, you know, I'm like, wait, 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 was that filmed yesterday? Pandemic time or pre pandemic? I'm always trying to make it that judgment. If it's black and white, it's a lot easier, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you're showing your age there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, man. So, uh, so let's kind of talk, let, let's, let's, let's talk about, you know, what the last year has, uh, how it's impacted our industry and, 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 and maybe some, uh, some silver linings that we can, that we can move forward with. Yep. And I'll say, and I'll start off by saying big picture, and we, we've talked about this many times, but, you know, we, we've spent pre-pandemic probably that last year really pondering what's the future going to look like for this industry. Cause we had an event you guys were part of called Futurecast, which was like, Hey, wh where will the industry be? In five years, again, pre-pandemic um, thoughts and, and analysis and planning. And, you know, we canceled that event um, because of the pandemic. 
and now have just watched all these changes and, and kind of evolving trends roll through the industry. And I'm shocked, you know, about how connected they are to all the thinking we were doing leading up to this event that, that, you know, did not happen. In other words, like all the trends we saw coming, like every single one of them has happened in like six months. It's insane. Um, and all of it's based in some way around technology, but it's, it's, it's touched every part of this industry and it's been supercharged by the pandemic. Yeah, but you're talking about technology. I mean, the the pandemic forced us to to really embrace technology. It really forced us to use technology, right? Especially if we wanted to communicate or continue to educate or to, you know, somehow just connect to one another. Mm-hmm. Being driven first and foremost by being, as you said, connected to one another, meaning everybody, you know, again, my 85-year-old mother, you know, it's like, all of a sudden is, is a tech whiz because <laughs> so, she wants to be on Zoom, you know, and, and is. And so uh, I, I think the most important thing for all of us to recognize is, is how everybody behaves has been somewhat altered. And, the, and the, the behavior of everybody is what we have to pay attention to as an industry. You know, how do people buy their stuff? How do people show up? How do people think about going wherever they're going? And again, technology has so much to do with the shifts. So, so speaking of technology, all right, is it, is there a time you think this year that shows are going to come back, or do you think we're going to continue to to use technology to to do the shows, or a hybrid, or I mean, what what are your feelings uh, about all that? Yeah, you know, it's it, again, it's all it's also interesting. So, first and foremost, I think there's no question that we all just want to get back to the way it was. And I think we see that in people's behavior in different groups of people and how they think about life you know, throughout this pandemic. You know, we all don't think of it the same, in other words. And so there's a lot of people who are just like, we'll go to an event right now if they could. You know? And then there's those in the middle and those who probably will never come back to an event. So, so you know, again, big picture, I think there's such energy to, to get back to the way it was. Kind of in the, in the middle of that somewhere is like, this forced thinking we have about everything. So I, again, things have sped up. So let's, we'll start with events. There's a lot that's been going on in the event space in the industry that has frustrated a lot of professionals for a long time. Um, it, you know, things kind of morph over time. So big, big beauty shows, you know, have gone from being uh, predominantly a place where you go shopping. And then we've seen education kind of roll into that over the last, you know, 20, 30 years in, in a unique way. And, and, and then all the social stuff, all the parties and, and all those things. And there, there are three separate pieces of one big kind of event. And I think, you know, the, the, we've seen events evolve in a way that a lot of big brands don't think it's necessarily the best way to spend their money. A lot of, you know, more successful professionals haven't been showing up. So, so you know, there's, there's been changes in how we think about events. And again, back to the, what COVID has done, it's like accelerated most trends. I think it's accelerated a, a kind of a trend that was kind of, I don't know, underlying things. It wasn't spoken about too often out publicly, but, you know, there's been a lot of angst about events. And so many of us have predicted events were going to change. And now we're seeing they are changing. So I think this year, I'll be surprised if we see any big, big events. We're certainly seeing lots of little things popping up. I, I was looking at um, our friend Don Tran, Tran over the weekend, and he was down in Austin, Texas, doing a workshop for, for 30 people. In person, you know, all masked up, all safe, safe, you know, you could, you could watch the videos, you know, it looks extremely well done. So, you know, yes, I think there are going to be some types of events happening. There'll be smaller events that'll lead us to bigger events. But I think, I think events will change. And I, I think they're going to be different. And I think the people who show up are going to be different. And I think there will definitely be some sort of merging with technology, um, not just like Facebook lives and stuff, but more complicated um, ways for people to attend events, maybe without showing up, you know, um, doing it by way of the computer. Um, so I think there'll be a hybrid that's coming. It's going it's to be different, but there'll be similarities to the way it was. I mean, just this week, uh, uh, Mary at BTC announced that, you know, they're doing the BTC um, show uh, uh, once again, coincidentally enough, in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's going to be August 21st. But that's the first big show that I've kind of heard about coming back. But to your point, 
what I'm starting to see, certainly over the last and literally like two weeks, is is now people are starting to plan like these like 30 day like education events or or mm-hmm. you know these these almost like in salon events, but 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 a little bit bigger. And you're seeing a lot of the artists get out there. I know um, I know Presley's uh, doing some uh, some traveling and teaching some um, as well. I think she was either just in Oklahoma or she's getting ready to go to Oklahoma and uh, and to do some classes there. And you know we're, we're starting to see kind of like you said some kind of normalcy back in in, in the industry um or what it's starting to look like um but i haven't heard anything about like premiere or anything you know i keep hearing that the only thing you're hearing from them is they keep postponing and stuff but right. um, but and then i guess there's been some online events right like some of the the big like uh was it redkin redkin symposium, symposium um, salon centric has oh. done two salon centric connect events all digital shows um We'll see, there's been some others. Um, ISSE is coming up. You know, we have in early March, ISSE will be an entirely digital event. And, you know, we've been kind of doing our work with them behind the scenes to, to be a part of it. And, our, you know, we'll, we'll be doing some classes and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be exhibiting right. <laughs> in, a digital, in, a digital, in a digital way. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Presley. So I do think from a trend perspective, one thing that's been kind of, to me, feels really evident is like we've been turned upside down in terms of an industry. So what I mean by that is that I think local is going to become more important than ever. And we've been more like national and international, like the stars, you know, live at the top and because the world's become very connected because of the way it was pre pandemic, it feels like now we've become very disconnected and the, the reconnection will start at the local level where we can get gather in small groups and we can feel safe and we don't have to be on airplanes. And so and it reminds me of when I first came into the industry 40 some years ago, there was like 500 hairdresser clubs around the country and they were all connected. And so, you know, uh, all the important stuff was happening locally and regionally. And then eventually it shifted to national. I, I think we're going to go back in some way, shape or form to, to the local being very, very important. And I think we'll see a higher level of participation than we've seen in years. I think you're right because you know, as as we saw it, because it seemed like those big shows kept getting younger and younger, right? So mm-hmm. it's more yep. or less, uh, you know, it was just the young hairdressers, and and you know, I, I think, and, and, the, and we talked about this before, how expensive expensive it is for a brand to put on a sh- uh, an exhibit at a show like that, right? And so, are they really getting their 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 dollars worth uh, when it comes down to it? But if we reconnect at a local level, like you're saying, um, I think, you know, if the brands get involved, I think it's going to, they're going to have a much better impact and a much more deeper impact. Uh, I think that route than putting on these uh, very, very expensive shows. You bring up one of the most important points, which is, you know, who are the audience at any given events or events? And so big, big shows, you're absolutely right. It's been talked about for years now. The audience is getting younger and younger. And we all love young professionals. They're some of the most exciting people in the industry. Um, They're not the decision makers in the industry. They're not making decisions about what color line comes into a big salon. They're not yet the big spenders. They're the future. But when, when, you know, companies look at who's going to be in an event, um, that they have to spend a lot of money to be a participant in, they really look hard at the audience. You know, we would at Hairbrain, but like, who's there? Is it the craft hairdresser crowd or is it something else? If it was something else, we might opt to not attend. And so this shift in audience is huge. And again, I think the pandemic has just shown a really big spotlight on it. To Tony's point, though, I mean, the audience has been getting, you know, younger. And, and by the way, I argue that we're just getting older and older. So they look <laughs> No escaping this. <laughs> However, no escaping. However, I mean, that's, and Gordon, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but that's also the influencer impact, right? Because, you know, younger and younger people or younger people are, are more on, or are on the social networks. And then, you know, over the last, certainly since 2014, we've had this big like shift to, uh, to, uh, um, to, to influencers. How do you think, you know, over the next year or, and we talked a little bit about it in the last podcast, if you didn't listen back, but, you know, we talked about, is this the is this the golden age of influencers? And, and, and if we, if, if a year ago was the golden age, where are we today? We're on the other side of it. I think again, an accelerant of trends. Now this, this I'll say we're talking, we were talking about events and I do think the influencers had a, had a role to play in young people coming to the big events. Um, It was already trending in that direction. There's no doubt about it. And so they helped accelerate that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that, 
in the media space, um, another you know category of the industry, which is where I would put influencers. And the reason I say that is that um, brands, when they look how to spend their marketing dollars, um, they look to quote unquote media. So that would be like the magazines, like the, the hair brains of the world, not a magazine, a community, you know, the behind the chairs. And so we're media. And um, as influencers started to rise and, and brands had interest in partnering and spending money with them, um, they kind of fell into that same category of, of the budget. So big picture pandemic has really turned the media upside down in part because this massive economic impact has caused everybody to reconsider their budgets. And so there's been some spending shifts. There's also been some kind of audience shifts. And so I, I my, my gut is that last year was the peak of the influencers. And I think we'll see fewer of them coming out. They're not going away. The spending will not stop. Their influence will not stop. Um, their importance will not stop. But I do, I do think we've peaked. And I think we're going to see a contraction there, just as we're seeing in all media. Hmm. The uh, speak, you know, we talk about influencers, and what I've what I've seen over the last year is that is that influence has changed, right? So if we look at the if we look at the base word of what an influencer is, and we look at influence, you know, what's what I've noticed is that over in 2020, certainly that we went from like, you know, the one that could do great videos and, and put out good color content and can kind of put out good haircutting content. And what's happened is I've seen a shift of where now people are more like business coach savvy and, 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 mm-hmm. and those that have the influencers are now like more of like the, all right, it's time to get your quote unquote business together. And I've seen a big, big uptick in just availability from, from, from coaches, like meaning as many coaches, there's, there's many more coaches out there that are available. Um, and well, I'll leave it at that. Well, and I do want to say, I, I've seen the same thing, but, but importantly, I think when you put the math to it, which I try to do with everything, because I believe life is basically basically a math formula. <laughs> everything goes back to math somehow, some way. And when I look at this coaching phenomena, which I which I, I think it is, um, a couple in the influencer space kind of went that direction, and then and then more have followed. And and um, but when you do the math, you know, like let's pre- let's say for example, there's a hundred coaches out there, um, which I'm not even aware of a hundred coaches at this point, but maybe there are. And if they each had, you know, um, let's say. Um, I'm going to say a hundred clients, which would be really high on the coaching side, you know, for a right. good coach to coach that many people, you know, but that's 10,000 people in an industry of 850,000. So the impact is, is fairly negligible. It's, it could be huge for an individual human being, but I don't think that the shift is anything that, that represents like a, a necessarily a, a trend of significance. Wow. I mean, when you, like my, first of all, my son-in-law would love you because he's a, he's a physics mate, physics graduate. So he <laughs> loves numbers, right? He loves uh-huh. the science, but uh, yeah, you, 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 when you break it down like that, it, you know, even though there's a huge surge, it has very little, very minimum impact right. on the whole industry. It could long-term. I mean, the, the thing is so interesting. So like, like when, when, I, when I think of the most successful songs in the industry, you know, again, pre-pandemic, um, much of, of that success, there's like a core of it and it, it, it's connected to others, you know, people influence people, salon owners and hairdressers influence others, you know, traditionally, you know, over time, so many of the successful salon owners today come out of, a, of, of a group of salons called the salon association, you know, back 15, almost 20 years ago. And so that was in kind of an era and a time where there was this connectivity about some really, a bunch of really smart young salon owners and their, their presence, even though the organization itself has been gone for well over a decade, is still being felt. So, you know, these coaches could definitely have some significant long-term influence. We just won't know for a long time. It's a, but it's not just salons. I mean, I think that, you know, with, with the, with the growth and independence and stuff, like I know as an independent, like I'm looking like the coaching that I'm seeking is, is how to run my independent business more like a, more like a, you know, a corporate salon without mm-hmm. like feeling and looking like a corporate salon. So I think that again, I'm speculating completely. Um, but you know, the people that are, the people that are hiring these coaches are probably more like independents that are just trying to, you know, get that, get, get the edge. Yep. And that to me means they'll have less influence, not more, because, you know, uh, someone who who gets coached and opens a salon now has an impact not only on themselves, but every person who works in that salon, whereas independents don't have as many people that they will individually touch as suite owners or or renters. And so, you know, it's just another thing to think about when we talk about trend. Because I think last time we talked about, we're going to talk about suite owners a little bit, how it was kind of 
surge gene in the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, after uh, COVID, uh, a lot of them have gone away, but a lot of them have come because of it's almost an isolation where clients mm-hmm. feel a little bit more comfortable. Where do you where do you see the all this balancing out at? You know, uh, between the 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 salon and you know the studios. I think. Um... You know, first of all, suites, you know, in this moment, um, well, like, like everything, you know, there's, there's a finite number of, of every category of things, you know, of, of business models, of, of categories of people in the industry. And, and suites is based on, you know, making these buildings of, you know, 30, 40 units, 50 units. So what's interesting to me about suites is it's been the talk of the industry for the last couple of years. I mean, pre-pandemic, it was like, oh, my gosh hottest category going. Everybody wants to be in, in suites. And then pandemic hits and we hear, oh my gosh, everybody's going to suites. And my brain goes, well, wait, if suites were such a big thing pre-pandemic, how's there any room for people to go, to go over there? <laughs> like, where, where's all the vacancy coming from? Now, now, some of it may have come from COVID. But what it says to me, big picture, is that you know, suites is a, an important and a shifting category. I think we don't understand it. I don't think there's good data on it. I don't think it's it's, there's a lot of sharing between the companies. And so I think there's less of it than we realize. And I think much of the balance going forward to your question depends on how much construction they do. Like how fast can they expand the space? And is the demand truly there? We don't, we don't really know. I mean, anecdotally, you know, Tony and I work in a suite and, you know, what we're seeing is we're seeing like some people leave, but then those, those spots are getting um, filled up immediately. So, you know, I think like the people that were maybe on the fence pre-pandemic or mm-hmm. maybe even it happened during the pandemic, those that are in salons, you know, I think a lot of them are now, I think they have the confidence to kind of like, you know what, I'm kind of like at my low now, if I'm going to make mm-hmm. a move, make a move now. And, you know, a lot of people see it, whether, and I'm not saying that it's correct, but a lot of people see it as a money grab as well. If I go from the salon into a suite, that, that it can be a money grab. So, you know, maybe that's also influencing um, uh, people to, to, make, to make the shift. But what it says to me is that, you know, the category itself isn't necessarily changing very much. So in other words, yeah, there, you know, people, people are leaving, people are coming in, net, net, that's, that's, that's no change you know, net, net, that's, you know, it's the same. And so, and and then we see what comes next. Now, net, net, that could be the loss of traditional salons. So, so that, you know, definitely has some impact, but I, I I think suites is, is, um, I I think some of, of, of how big suites are considered by those who think about this stuff is is a little bit exaggerated. I I think there's been, we've hyped ourselves up to think it's larger than it is. Mm-hmm. And um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And, and, you know, to your point on the money grab, I think that's a, that's a really big one. Um, I don't see it as a money grab per se, but I, I, I definitely think you know, this fascinates me. So, so we're an industry that has this idea in one category, which is the traditional salon, that once you go to work there, you're never, ever, ever supposed to leave. <laughs> so right. It's like some form of indentured servitude. <laughs> that you go to work at a salon. You maybe get trained, maybe not, but no matter what, you're never ever supposed to leave, or or whoever you know you work for is going to think you know you're you're Satan basically. Mm-hmm. Um, what fascinates me is that you know mo- the average time that any person spends on a job in America, generally speaking, is about five years. Wow. You know we don't we don't work someplace for twenty years. You know that was my father's generation. You know. Um, that's not, that's not the life that people live. And so we shouldn't be surprised that people want to make changes for all kinds of reasons, um, including by the way, making more money. And if the place you work, you're not able to make more money for whatever reason, um, there's nothing wrong with looking for a better opportunity for yourself and for your family. And so, so that part of it, I get, I understand, I even support, you know, the rest of it, as far as from a trend perspective, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, I mean, I started, I was at a salon for 14 years and I never got a bump in in my um in in my percentage, you mm-hmm. know. And, and and the reason that I left is because I literally went from 45 to 60 percent. And a lot of people think that's a 15 percent bump, but it's actually a 30 percent bump or, or just about a 30 percent bump because you know that 15 percent, if you're getting paid 50 percent. You know, if you do the dollar, if you do dollar to dollar, it's a 30% increase, not a 15% increase. Um, well, 40 to 60 is a 50% increase, actually. So, oh, so 40 right? to 60, it is. Well, half of, half of 40 is 20, you know, so 40 plus 20 is 60. So it's a 50% increase. It's a big increase. It's, huge. Know, it's, it's not, it's not insignificant. Um, and again, there should be no blame. 
You know, so traditional salons have a business model. Traditional companies have a business model. I've always been like a corporate employee. And so, you know, I, I've been places where I've topped out. It's like, there's no more opportunity for me here. It's not the company's fault. It's not my fault. It is what it is. I've outgrown my position based on that company's way of doing business. And so a, a commission salon cannot pay its employees 60%. It's not possible. In a suite, you can make what you can make. It's a, it's a whole different thing, but we should be respectful of both models and we should be respectful of people's desire and need to, to grow in their, in their lives and recognize when the current job doesn't quite get it. I, I, I wish we were more evolved as an industry where, you know, these, the moves weren't personal, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but you know, it, it's, I guess it's always going to be personal because if you're a salon owner and you're taking clients now, you know, you're taking, you're, you're, you're directly impacting the money that they can bring in. So, I mean, it makes yep. sense, I guess, you know, um, but it just, is the industry. Here's what's so fascinating about it. It's like my whole life I've been hearing about this, you know, conundrum of the industry. You're going to leave. Okay, we talked about that a moment ago. Now your clients are following you, whether you're taking them or not. You know, some clients, you know, so there are hairdressers I've known who tried not to take anybody, you know, from, from their own personal point of view about how they wanted to, to treat their leaving. But there are clients who will track them to the ends of the earth, you know, because, <laughs> because I would argue, again, having been around this forever, loyalty lives first and foremost with the hairdresser and the salon is secondary. You know, even if that person first came to the salon, we love our hairdresser, we love our hairdresser, the salon's a building yeah. and, and perhaps a culture and perhaps all kinds of things we like about it, but you cannot um, escape the power of a client's love of a hairdresser. <laughs> yeah. We, I, I always used to the, the, the 33%, you know, 33% love you, 33% think you're okay. And then, you know, the other 33% love the salon or something, mm-hmm, you know, so mm-hmm. that's always kind of like the way that I've thought about it. Um, or location or whatever. Hey, real quick, uh, another trend that we've we've seen, and, and not necessarily during COVID, but here towards the latter end of COVID, um, we've seen a lot of uh, uh, talk, and, and maybe it's not as much talk as I think it is, but with affiliate marketing and, you know, going mm-hmm. back into the independent salons and like where, you know, a lot of independents don't have a lot of uh, capital to bring in big brands and stuff. Um, I, I see affiliate marketing well, I'll ask, is it here to stay or, or is it a trend? And, 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 you know, do you see it beneficial for the industry slash independent? It's definitely here to stay, in my opinion. Um, and I, and I, it starts, you know, thinking about what Amazon has done to the world of, of online commerce. And, you know, the affiliate marketing is certainly a big part of the Amazon model. And now it's, you know, spread out, you know, throughout the industry. It's a small part of what's happening with retail still. But I believe it absolutely is here to stay. And, and one of the primary benefits uh, that so, some salons are seeing is by adapting, you know, themselves to, to affiliate marketing. They potentially have to put less inventory on the shelves. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, at a time when everybody's, you know, very sensitive to cash and, you know, how they're investing their day-to-day money, I, I think to many that matters. Um, but I will say, you know, one of the bigger issues around retail is most salons don't do it or they don't do it well, or most hairdressers don't do it or they don't do it well. That's, we know that from the math. And we've, I've not seen enough information that says this will change the retail as we know it, meaning it will grow it. Um, But it's another way that people can provide, you know, retail options to customers. So I think it's here to stay. I just am not sure to be quite honest that retail is here to stay. I, I you know we we have not been good at it. Um, the manufacturers you know have been stressed out for years over how to make salons more successful about it, around it, and so you know the jury's out on on retail, but the affiliate stuff I think is definitely here to stay. So how do you think this is going to impact the distributors? I mean, because affiliate marketing is really directly straight to the consumer, right? So it's kind of like sidetracking the, some of the distributors. How how is it going to impact that? Hey, Gordon, before you go on, I just want to explain real quick because we, we didn't I, I didn't do a good job of explaining it. So um, if, for those that don't know, affiliate marketing is is um, your clients now can get uh, products sent directly from the manufacturer to their house. But you also get credit. So you're, you're also still getting a percentage um, of that sale. But but you, you, you'd set up an account so your clients can get money right from right from the manufacturer. And that way you don't have to uh, have it on your shelf. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. And, and to add to that, you know, so I'm sitting in the chair and, and, and the hairdresser says, oh, you know, you, you should use Redkin's XYZ product. It's, you know, it's going to, you know, help you with, with achieving what we've achieved today. And I can sit right there on my phone and I can and I can buy it. I, they can give me a link. I, I can do it at home. Um, and to your point, the, the salon or the hairdresser gets credit. 
they get credit because they're part of the process or perceived as part of the process. The manufacturer is saying, hey, we, we know that you could influence buying and we know clients like to buy online. So we're going to make it, you know, we're just going to make it easier for everybody. And I think that's where, again, the, you know, the power of it comes in. But um, yeah, where, where it goes next, it's hard to say. And I think you asked me a question and I just forgot yeah, what about it was. How, how does it impact the distributors? Ah, the distributor. Um, well, you know, first of all, there's loads of distributors that are offering affiliate uh, programs. So, so they can be in the mix because they are actually who typically delivers the product to the consumer. You know, so a lot of these affiliate programs include distribution. You know, so, it, so it's hard to know where it's going. Um, I think big picture, the question is who's going who's to jump into the affiliate game and who's not. And I think those who jump into it, manufacturers or distributors or salons, um, I, I think those who are, you know, kind of progressive thinking and get with the program are going to find a lot of good in it. And those who don't are going to be left behind, just like those who have never retailed effectively have already been left behind from the retail bus. Uh, and just a big quick shout out to um, if you're interested in, uh, in again, in affiliate marketing, whether you're an independent, or whether you're a salon, definitely uh, follow Michelle Pritchard. Um, Michelle Pritchard's kind of on the, uh, I don't know, on the cusp of this. She, she She's doing a lot of education about how to do it why to do it, where to do it. Um, and also she's showing some really, really great videos that she's putting up to like, you know, kind of like entice uh, sales. Um, and, you know, it, it's social media. So why shouldn't we be enticing sales on social media? But, but know that you have to entice. I mean, and that to me is the yeah. conundrum here because we've not been good at enticing collectively as an industry. And I think especially as people move more to independent and have more choices about what they do with their, with their careers, meaning do I retail? Do I not retail? Do I do it by way of an online shop? Or, you know, do I do it? in real time. We know that those who embrace retail, who are really passionate about it, that, you know, I just know too many people, their entire rent, whether it's a salon or in a suite, you know, or a chair is being paid by retail. I mean, retail can be a huge plus, you know, if you can wrap your head around it and if you can do it well. And I, I'm thankful that our distributors decided to, to jump in the affiliate marketing program. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it makes so much sense because, you know, usually we carry multiple lines, right? And so if mm -hmm. only one of your line is affiliate, it's it, it makes it tough to like, okay, you can, you can only order this online. But when your distributor is that way, you everything that you use, you can literally uh you know sell online and it's well, especially especially with everybody using amazon and like everybody's using amazon to me if i go into a salon you know i i would think if my hairdresser said oh you know um you can buy this um you have bought it in the past but instead of having to you know bag it up for you and have you carry it around while you're running the rest of your errands today it's going to show up at your door tomorrow i'm yeah. like oh aren't you guys cool <laughs> you know, my salon has gotten with the program, you know, you're keeping up with the rest of the world. I would be thrilled as a consumer that my salon said that I yeah, certainly and, couldn't find a reason to say, Oh, that's a bad thing. Right. And, and if they run out and they're at home, they can order it. You still get credit for it. And yep. it, it arrives the next day at their doorstep instead of them having to make a special trip all the way back to the salon. By the way, from... most of us won't. I'm a okay. consumer. I ain't going across town to the salon for a bottle of shampoo. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not, you know, so now I happen to live a really nice um, um, life and brands are really nice to me and send me products. So I, I'm, you know, kind of channeling what I think a consumer would say, you know, but but I, I find it hard to believe because products are all around us. And so it might be a salon, you know, a block away from me that is not the salon to get my hair done, but they carry product. Maybe I'll stop there before I go halfway across town. So I, I think what you just brought up is so important, Tony, you know, that repeat business, we, most of us want to buy shampoo when we realize that morning that we ran out, you know, not necessarily in line with when I go to get my haircut. Boom. I, I, yes. I mean, Amazon is successful for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's exactly that. It's efficient. It's efficient. It's efficient. And I think that this is a really, really great way. And as an industry for the last 10 years or so, we've been trying to figure out how we can compete with Amazon. Well, we can't compete with Amazon by, by, by handing a shampoo bottle off our shelf, but mm -hmm. we can with this affiliate marketing because it just makes things so, so efficient and so, so convenient. And, you know, if they're going to buy off of an Amazon, you know, website anyways, you might as well get, you might as well make a little bit of money from it. So I, I think it, I think it's, I think it's genius and brilliant that our, that our industry. Now we just need to, to your point, we need to now, um, you know, own it, so to speak. And if you can't, you know, this is fascinating. If you can't, if you can't 
you know, or, or don't want to be part of that affiliate world. Um, but you do want to be, you know, um, up with what's happening all around us. Um, there's lots of ways that you kind of get in that lane without necessarily doing it the way we've just discussed. So I'll give myself as an example. So this weekend, you know, we, we had a big storm here in Chicago, you know, a lot of snow. And one of my weekend, you know, occasional treats is, is, is a visit to Popeye's chicken. I have a thing for Popeye's. I love Popeye's chicken. Um, so, I, but we had a big storm, you know, and it's like, I wasn't going to go out in it. And I was like, I got to get my Popeye's. And I'd seen a, a sign at the last time I was there that they deliver. Um, and they deliver by way of Postmates. So I went to Postmates and I got my Popeye's chicken for a 75 cent delivery charge. And I was like, if I was a salon owner, why wouldn't I not consider Postmates, you know, which is a local option, you know, that I said all of my clients, hey, you want something, just call us up and we'll Postmate over to you, you know, and, and the thing is that we're used to paying, you know, fees now for our food delivery, for our Postmates delivery. I mean, I, I just think there are many ways, you know, to, to kind of tackle this new way of thinking about buying stuff. And there's nothing that, that would keep salons from participating, even if it was just purely a local play, like something like Postmates. So you say we're used to paying these fees, but we, we, you know, we're used to, you know, whether it's public transportation, mm-hmm. parking, yep. gas, you yep. know, those are the fees anyway. So, yep. you know, now, a lot of us don't really think about the fees. I, you know, I, I've had friends, you know, this is, this is a while back, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, who would buy, you know, McDonald's for, and have it delivered, you know, and I'm like, you're, you're spending $6, you know, for lunch and you're paying $3 for it to be delivered. Doesn't that bother you? And most of them, they don't even think about it. You know, they, it's just, it is what it is. It's convenience, it's service, it's uh, a, a little bit of splurge, you know, it, it, it is what it is. And if you're at work, you get to spend an extra half hour at work, so you're already yep. made money. So. Yeah. <laughs> and get a Big Mac. Right. It doesn't get better. <laughs> better than a Big Mac. Right. Hey, Gordon, about a year and a half ago, there were some rumblings about, um, about, uh, maybe or maybe not Amazon taking over one of our uh, one mm-hmm. of our distributors. Yeah. Um, it, it, I thought that it was a done deal, um, mm-hmm. and then it just it kind of went flat a little bit, and then um, and then we we saw one of our major uh, distributors then lay off a bunch of people, which I thought mm-hmm. was the play to make it more enticing for Amazon to buy them. Um, what are the rumblings? Is there anything to that rumbling? Is that just my, all my speculation, or, or, or tell me? No, I mean, the rumblings began a while back, as, as kind of referred, and they continue. You know, I think Amazon is, you know, the most significant distributor of stuff in the world. And we, in the beauty space, are one of the most coveted spaces in the world. So to think that Amazon doesn't still have us in their sites would be kind of foolish. Um, and, and, you know, who, who the hell knows where it goes from there. But some would argue that um, they're just waiting for the economics to look right. Meaning um, big companies buying big companies, it's all about the price. And, and a lot of times it has to do with stock. And, and so they may be waiting for a stock to decline to a certain level. Who the heck knows? But I, I would not take my eye off of what you're, what you're pointing at. Well, Amazon, if you're listening, please cut us in on the deal. You know, please give us a percentage if we send our clients there. You know, <laughs> do the same thing that we're doing with the affiliate marketing because uh, we would all we would all need it and 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 would totally um, appreciate. It. So you know, let me say this about you know about that. It's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, so Amazon bought um, Whole Foods a few years ago, right? And we saw those of us who love Whole Foods definitely saw some changes. They weren't, you know, hugely significant. But it might, again, I'll use my 85-year-old mother who also loves Whole Foods. Maybe that's where I get it from. Um, she stopped going to Whole Foods after, after the um, Amazon buy. Now, my mom's not, you know, that sensitive to things like this. I'm like, what, what do you mean you stopped going to, to Whole Foods? And she's like, you know, when, uh, they, they've turned the lights down. I was like, what? What? <laughs> my mom and my mom talked to an employee there. My mom noticed that it wasn't as bright. And she, she determined through some, some sleuthing of her own and her visits to Whole Foods that, in fact, they had put in light bulbs that weren't quite as strong. It was probably a very subtle change that mom noticed, and she decided not to go to Whole Foods anymore. They were, they were cutting service, cutting, cutting the value of the business to her in ways um, that she didn't like. Wow. If they were to come into our space, I think it's interesting. So they are really good at distributing product, moving product from point A to point B. That's what they do really, really well and make it easy on all of us. 
the number one provider of education in the professional beauty industry to salons and hairdressers are distributors. They do the heavy lifting. They are the local, you know, um, provider often of brand classes, of, of independent classes, all kinds of classes. So if one of our big distributors ends up with Amazon, what happens to education? We've seen it kind of be, being less and less over the years. And so perhaps we're moving to an era where distributors won't have as much involvement. But I don't believe the Amazon thing can be successful until we're headed firmly in the direction of distributors not needing to provide as much education. I think that that could be a block for them or, or could be an impediment to their success. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and I think you're right. But talking about distributors is talking about, you know, other brands. And, and uh, can we talk about Alta a little bit and, and mm-hmm. the merger of that and how they came on the scene and, and really became uh, kind of a powerhouse? One of the fastest growing companies in America for several years in a row now. You know, they their, their staffs have been, you know, off the chart. and. Uh, they definitely are a powerhouse in the industry, and they've got big brand alliances. They're carrying most of the major brands in the industry uh, to sell to consumers, as well as tools. Um, they're a powerhouse, and they, they're continuing to grow. And, and, and they started off, at, you know, kind of like um, it's kind of funny as far as an industry. Like we, you know, we kind of s- looked down or snobbed these outside uh, retail stores that were. You know, a lot of times we feel like they're trying to steal our business, but then here they come they, and they merge with our industry and uh, and they slowly became this, you know, powerhouse. And uh, they can easily do a lot of those things that that we, we, we've been talking about. Well, you know, inside the industry, I mean, they're seen as as this retail center in a way for consumers, but they're also seen as a chain of salons. And so one of the bigger challenges they would have, you know, I think of expanding their influence within the industry to professionals and owners is they compete with professionals and owners. They are one of the larger, one of the largest employers in the industry. So I think, you know, that creates some unique challenges for them. Um, I think what's more interesting is the fact that they just partnered with Target. And so Ulta is moving into Targets across the country. Haven't seen the specifics of that plan yet, but that certainly takes whatever concern that folks had about them having, you know, maybe reach that goes way beyond them as a group of salons because their retail centers are, you know, in terms of numbers of bodies that come in is way greater um, than the bodies that go into their salons. And so now when they get in front of a target audience, you know, it'll be really interesting. But all of this, I think, comes back to the idea that we've never been as successful as retail as we need to be. Consumers love professional products and access has always been a problem. and so. Uh, now target it's going to be interesting to see how the, the industry reacts to professional products going into target so but going into target with the same product that you carry it it's not going to be discounted though it's it's going to be the same same price correct or is it going to be I assume no I, I assume and, and 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 price has never been I mean you know if you really again look at old school diversion or, or new school, you know, kind of affiliate programs and things that are being sold online. It's pretty hard to argument that price, you know, or, or discounting, you know, is, is the secret sauce to being successful or that people are stealing your, your retail business because they're offering it at a better price. Historically, things that are being bought, bought outside the industry actually cost a little bit more. We talk about Target, you know, in the old school Target, when there was a lot of diversion, because we don't see it as the way we used to, Usually those products were more money. People would go, oh, they're selling it at a discount. I'd be like, no, if you really go check carefully, which a lot of us were doing, you know, you're selling it for 15 and they're selling it for 15.95, you know, so it's, uh, there was very little undercutting going on. Once again, it comes to what your client's going to do or when a client is going to do that, you know, 95 cents is their convenience charge. that they Exactly. And they so, they're not even thinking about price. The convenience is I'm standing in a row in a store with the stuff that I need and it's top of mind. And it's now this morning, yesterday morning, I was in my shower. I'm like, I need some more shampoo. My appointment to the salon's in three weeks. Do I think that where I buy it matters very much? I probably don't. I probably don't have a, you know, a lot of thought that goes into why am I buying it here versus there? And, and, but we get all angst filled around it. 
once again, we've had a very long conversation kind of about affiliate marketing and how we can kind of reach those, mm-hmm. reach those customers. So, I mean, I'm excited about affiliate marketing personally, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, again, those that own it are going to own it. And, and, and I'm trying to get off my, uh, my lazy, uh, whatever, but, and, and to kind of really commit to it. Um, like Tony said, one of our distributors is doing it now. So we can actually set up a store within, you know, a, a digital store within their distributorship, mm-hmm. which, which is honestly all the retail products that I, that I get, I get from, from them. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it'll be interesting, man. It'll be interesting to kind of see how this evolves and see if, you know, we can make a run. It reminds me of uh, Daniel Mason Jones has a great quote. If you want, if you don't want your clients to basically, he's saying like, like to your point as an industry, we've sucked at selling retail. Well, these mm-hmm. retail companies are in business to make money. So yeah. if we suck at it, they're going to find ways to sell it. Yep. Yeah. They don't have any choice. You know, they, I mean, they, they don't have any choice. Because I would argue that, you know, brands have done so much work over the years empowering professionals and salons to be great at retail. But, you know, folks have chosen not to go down that path. So I do think, and there's another thing that always gets talked about for decades. You know, it's like um, the product that consumers use on their hair relative to the service you provided matters. You know, so in other words, if you provided a great balayage, it's like, what product is your consumer, your, your customer using? You should know that. And if, if you truly, really believe that the retail you have to offer is going to protect their hair in a way that's in line with what you have wanted for them, then you owe it to them to sell them the product. If the product that you sell doesn't really make a difference in that person's life, then I guess you don't owe it to them to sell. And to me, that's one of the bigger issues. I've, I've always you know, struggled with that idea. Wait, you don't want to recommend retail to me that, you, that I need, you know, I need to get the results that you've given me. That's where I get lost, <laughs> the retail <laughs> thing. So is there any uh, trends that is surging or that you see that, that we haven't been talking about kind of coming on? Education, or- education, online learning. You know, that's the biggie. We talked about events and education, you know, at, at those events. But I think online learning is the number one shift in the industry. And it will, how we decide to learn going forward, you know, real time online, you know, perhaps hybrid models that'll impact those who, who want to, to get educated somewhere, somehow. So in other words, if digital education becomes as powerful as we think it can become, there are people who go, now nah, I don't need to travel across the country this year, you know, to go to show number X or, or event number or, or event Y, you know, um, Online education has exploded and it has a long ways to go to reach the level of of proficiency that I think is needed both by educators and students, but it's here to stay and it's, it's a game changer. Love that. Love, love, love that. Um, I certainly know that. Well, you know, I think our podcast uh, has kind of put ourselves in online education as well. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of education, you know, but both ours and yours, you know, I think that, 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 that the, the availability to us as far as like grabbing knowledge um, has never been greater really in the industry. Um, we're, we're the old DVDs, not DVDs, we're the old CDs and, and eight, eight oh. track. Well, I don't know we ever had eight track tapes. I'm really showing my age <laughs> um, you know, with business education. But for years, you know, the Geno Stamporas, the Robert Crumbies, they had audio programs. You know, you'd buy their audio cassettes. And it was a great way to learn business because you don't have to be staring at the front of a room, a classroom. To, to learn from Robert Cromians or Gino Stampora on how to be good at business. You, you don't. And podcast to me is a new version of that. You know, it's free. You know, we, we cover a lot of the same stuff. It, it's great education. The big question is the real-time stuff, the hands-on workshops, the stuff that, that are highly visual, you know, that we're used to doing in person cannot be achieved, you know, online. And arguably, I think it's been proven over and over again, it can what matters is exactly what matters in, in real time in a classroom at a show. How good is the educator? How well is the room set up for learners? You know, how, how, you know, how many, some, sometimes it's a question of how many people are in the room. Can you learn effectively? We've all walked into the back of a classroom at a beauty show that has a hundred seats with 200 people in the room. And so that isn't necessarily a great learning environment. So uh, again, the jury's still out, but uh, if I was to say with confidence, what is the one trend that's going to be locked in from COVID? It's, it's, it's this, it's online learning. 
I'm really, really mega excited about to watch how online education also evolves, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like are we going to evolve past just a Zoom room? Are we going to have we are. You know, different kind of stuff? I mean, I know that I know Salon Center tried like the the in talking about it from an education view, like like their their convention, right? Like their online uh, conventions that they did. Mm-hmm. So um it'll be it'll be really interesting to kind of watch how 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 the industry evolves um in this and and you know, again, that it's not a Zoom room. Can we make it a little bit more interactive? Can we make it a little well, and, and I'm so fascinated and, and geeky about stuff like this that I spend a tremendous amount of time watching events, watching education um, online that have nothing to do with beauty. And this has been a habit for a long time because I, I think we're a little bit slow sometimes as an industry to get to trend as far as the bigger business trends go. And I'm seeing spectacular digital events outside of beauty, um, unlike what we're seeing. We have lots of good stuff going on, but we've not yet kind of gotten to the level that we need to get to kind of lock this stuff in. So it's coming. We, we will, we will learn from those outside the industry, I believe, and, and we will be better at it because zoom has all kinds of cool capabilities that I don't see most events using. And so I, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot to learn, um, a lot for us all to experience, but again, uh, change is coming. I, I agree with you 100%. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, I was able to uh, be um, a guest to the CES, the Consumer Electronics yeah. Show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and watching them do, because it, it was all online instead mm-hmm. of being in Vegas this year. And like they would have conversations, two people having a conversation like you and I sitting down. But the technology they used was it looked literally looked like they were sitting down in front of each other yep. uh, in two chairs yep. on this stage, but they were in opposite rooms. It mm-hmm. was just, it was so mind blowing, like how cool that was. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely see that evolve when like people that are used to working on stage together yes. and actually literally look like they're cutting hair on stage together. So. It again is coming. And, and, you know, if you look, you know, at the event space and the education space more generally, there's just so much stuff coming in the pipeline that most of us have not experienced yet. And some of that relates to, you know, things like artificial intelligence and augmented reality. And, and separate from all that, there's a tremendous amount of money being put into the event space and the education space online outside of beauty. In other words, the platforms, and there's just a huge investment. And, and when you see big investment, that means that somebody perceives big opportunity. And so there's, there's definitely opportunity coming in this space. I am so excited right now. I want to run through a wall. Like this is like, this is like, this is that silver lining that I've been looking for, Gordon. This is awesome. I'm, I'm excited about, about, well, about the online space, about the online education space. And, and guess what, Tony, or Corey, you will be able to run through a wall digitally <laughs> <laughs> as we see events and education somewhat gamified, if you will. So there yeah. probably will be a Mario Brothers version. It'll probably be the, the Corey and Tony brother versions right. <laughs> of some sort of education slash event problem uh, platform coming yeah hair to street carts there you go <laughs> <laughs> awesome. that's awesome so how can our guests find you brother how can they how, keep up with you know what you're doing and and receive the same love that we receive well if they're in chicago i walk my dog at 10 o'clock in the morning when she gets up approximately <laughs> i walk her again at one i walk her again at 5 30 and around 10 o'clock at night so if you want to stalk me on a personal level I'll be out and about. Um, if you want to connect with me, you know, online or, or, or digital, uh, uh, Instagram is is my jam, as they say. And you can find me at, at Gordon M. I spell it G-O-R-D-N-M. That's me on Instagram. And of course, um, hair, hairbrained underscore official is, is uh, we hope everybody follows us there. And you can be in touch with me there as well. And th- those are the best places to find me. And and my podcast. Oh, my gosh. My podcast, Hairbrained yeah. Conversations. Um, and um, I've got my 200th coming up soon. And, and I've mentioned to you guys before, I want to do kind of a, a podcast host roundtable for that 200th episode. I'll announce it here. And of course, you guys are invited. And of course, we're, we're there. We're, mm-hmm. No matter when it is, we'll, we'll make it happen. I can't wait to be able to stalk you again in Chicago. So. <laughs> I, know, right? I can't wait to have lunch again. Just know that I have a dog with me at all times you know, when I'm outside. So I'll just, I'll just put that out there just to stalkers. <laughs> I have my dog with me too. <laughs> hey, am I your dog? Am I your dog? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> What's up, dog? That's awesome. 
Mr. Gordon Miller, thank, thanks for hanging out with us, dude. And seriously, and from the bottom of our hearts, you know, just thank for the friendship, the guidance, the dare I say mentorship um, over the last couple of years. We, uh, we love and adore you and just thank you for, for welcoming, welcoming us into this podcast space and, and into this part of the world. And before you say goodbye, because I know how the end podcast, right? You got to slam, you jam that, those last final words and you just get to goodbye so your guest doesn't say anything else. So I'm jumping in, I'm cutting you off and I'm saying, I have to say to the audience how proud I am of you guys and all that you've achieved. I mean, I, I remember going, who, who are these guys? <laughs> I remember, remember saying that, that too. <laughs> who are these guys? And then um, today, everybody knows who you guys are. It, it has been, you know, a joy to watch. Um, you've earned every bit of it. And again, just so proud of what you've accomplished and what you've created, you know, with this podcast. So kudos, kudos. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's very, very sweet of you. And, and it means a world coming from you. Um, Mr. Gordon Miller, thank you very much for hanging out with us. And thank you very much for joining us on your day off. My honor. My pleasure. Bye, guys. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find... Actually, you can. You can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>